Mama, I have $5 million in real estate. Yeah, but go to work. Not a lot of people who look like me were getting on trips and going to Finland five times to go to the Arctic. Finally, one of my boys came with me. Finally. You know what happened at the end of that two-day two day visit? He was crying. My passion, honestly, outside of helping people in general with life, my passion is helping people break the system. So on this podcast, we have Maurice Philogene, and I'm going to read a short bio before we jump into the actual uh, interview. So Maurice Philogene is a person that has clearly followed his passions, which have led at least in part to a fascinating career path and life journey that is unlike most, some of which include pursuing a career in the police force while also achieving the rank of lieutenant colonel special agent in the Air Force. As he climbed the corporate ladder, he was doing all this at the same time as climbing the corporate ladder at Accenture to become a senior executive. He has since transitioned from, from corporate America into becoming a founder and managing partner of Quattro Capital Investments. What did I leave out there? Yes. Did I miss anything? <laughs> and when do you rest after doing all that? How do you? <laughs> what did you leave out? Man, it's yeah. a lot more to life. You know, when, when, when you read... Um, that stuff doesn't sound extraordinary to me at all. It just like, I'm starting to be reminded by people that, you know, I've done quite a lot of stuff and I think that's okay too, but everybody has and everybody can. And that's why this, this whole life, this whole mantra of try life on has come up in my space. Um, but I am living between the East coast and the Mediterranean. Now um, I started uh, real estate developing in Cyprus as a means to be part of overseas local business community. Um, that's really important to me. Uh, I'm coaching people on lifestyle design. Uh, I, I'm starting some media projects, etc. The whole who can, like I appreciate the laundry list, but the point is like we can do what it is we want to do if we put our mind to it. Sounds like a commercial, but it's true. You can find people to help you get there. You can find hacks to help you get there. And oh my God. Really successful people who've done incredible things put their whole story in books, and you can literally mm -hmm. go to books and get the information. So easily, um, yeah, yeah, lots out there, but you know, it's just living. Yes, it's clear to me that, that you get, you're driven. You have a, a unique perspective. A lot of people look at life as let me go to college, let me get a job, work thirty years, forty years till I retire. Your your approach is more about what can I do to get the most out of life as possible? Where does that come from? Talk about your upbringing in terms of, you know, what, what do you believe that you experienced uh, growing up that developed that mindset of, yeah. you know, life is more than getting a job and, and making money. Where does that come from? It came from, there were two. So yeah, it is more, life is more than getting a job and just getting money. That's the whole, that's the, you, you should, life is a thing. You can go try it on constantly, right? And and you, do you remember we, when we were in kindergarten, everything was creative. We could throw paint at walls. We could color. We had field trips. We were constantly exploring. And then when we got to grade school, middle school, it's kind of like, it's kind of the same, but compliance is starting to set in. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Here's a permission slip. Sit down, Johnny, in the back room. 
do these math tables. There's only one answer. And then we get to high school and college. Think about it. Everything we did in those venues, who's the MVP? Who's the number one in the AP classes? Where did I score on the testing list that the teacher just posted? Who's going to be the valedictorian? Who's going to be the prom king and queen? Uh, king and queen. It's always competition. That's what translates into the work world. Everybody competes with each other. So they lose sight of the creative part of life that we had in kindergarten. That's my fundamental mm. belief. Mm. Everyone just gets so focused and it's not their fault. It's not people's fault. It's what right. our societal system does to us because it tells us you have to be the number one at everything. And even if it's not your passion, go compete with that next guy. Right. So two things that happened to me to not allow that to happen was one, my father sent me to Paris, France to stay with an exchange student who had lived with us the previous summer. And I was 15 years old when that happened. And think about it. Black dude, inner city kid, Boston, being driven around France for 30 days in an 83 Range Rover. It, it absolutely fundamentally changed my life. It made me realize that life was not about chains and beepers and sneakers. That was, that was the first thing. And I'm like, if, if there's all this beauty out here in France, what else is in the rest of the world that I need to know about? That's the first thing. And then the second thing quickly that kind of set my mind, when I was 21, I happened to be in New York City. I picked up a book called Personal Finance for Dummies. You remember that yellow, that ye yellow series of books? Yeah. And I was just, I, I was curious about my personal finance because I was getting into credit card issues and stuff like we all do at age 21, getting out of college. Yeah. And there was a, there was a passage in there that talked about passive income. And then I started to realize you could make income without you physically having to be somewhere. That meant that I could go do and secure all the feelings that I had when I was 15. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, I'm going to go get this money this way to go explore life this way. And that's mm -hmm. how all this stuff started. Right. Right. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the, uh, the passive income part. Cause we wanted to get there. And, um, when, when you, <laughs> When, when you were starting out, because uh, it says you, you had 35 homes and then you went to bigger things commercial, at, at yeah. which point in your journey when you had one home, two homes, three homes, did you organize your team and get your CPA, your attorney, or how did you get to that yeah. size where you said, you know what, I'm not going to fix the, the toilets myself. I'm not going to do the painting. It's better use of my time. Was that threshold 10 homes? 30 or how do you go from yeah, it, there was a there was a threshold but I, anyone who's in real estate or any form of business uh especially successful people know that you don't have all the answers you just mm -hmm. figure it out like there's there's usually catalyst events that change you or you just do shit and course correct along the way all i was doing between 2002 when i was 25 at the time 2002 to 2015, I was buying single family homes the way you articulated. Mm -hmm. I got up to 35, self-managed as far as 300 miles apart. This is at the time where I was full-time exec during the day, full-time street cop at night. So you can imagine it wow. was, it was tough. And then uh, I, you know, I found somewhere around 2013 or 12, I realized that you can supercharge what you're doing by leveraging people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, especially, be honest, man, especially black and brown folk, the way that we're generally raised, we're taught to hold on to everything because we work really hard for what we have. 
So I was, it was incongruent for me to think about the thought that think about the idea of hiring a property manager to take care of my properties at a 10% cut. But that was the dumbest thought process I could have ever had because that 10% of money freed up 90% of my time. Right. So that's what happened on the single family stuff. I finally got it to a point where everything was managed by like four or five property managers. And then to your point about moving on to large scale multifamily and I buy apartment complexes now, that was not a money chase because by 2015, I had 18 paid off homes and 160 grand of passive income coming in. I was okay. But when you, when you have enough money to take care of your basic needs, food, shelter, taking care of your kids, you start to realize that li- you start to realize that life was never about money in the first place. But, but I needed a, I needed a challenge, so I, I moved up to a different thing. But specifically on your team, say for example, you did the property management, but more of yeah. the the legal counsel or the CPA. Because oh. you, I want to follow up to one thing that you post. We Andre and I love your post on LinkedIn, oh, thanks, and you man. mentioned the two ones. And, and you mentioned the K-1s and different things. Just learn about it. The point isn't the K-1. The point is to understand it. And with some of my private equities, I've been receiving K-1s, but I never thought about K-1s from a real estate perspective. Oh, so I, was I see. Wondering, you know, if you're, you're pre, pre or private companies, you get K-1s from those. But when yes. you look at it from a real estate perspective, I've never thought about that. So I was wondering, was it, Five homes, ten homes, where you're like, you know what? I need to set up my LLCs, my trust, or or how did you make that transition from right. let me just put it all under Maurice and put it under my corporation? Because everyone's throwing, you should get an LLC, you should get a trust, but they don't really say when they don't organize it well. Organize it. Is, yes, you should get all those things, but they need to be organized in a manner consistent of tax reduction because that's our number one bill, right? Mm-hmm. A CPA came into my life in 2010. Uh, he saved me. <laughs> Brother, I was being audited at the time. It saved me hundreds of thousands of dollars. But um, he's still in my life today. Um, I found K-1s. I found K, again, doing and course correcting. I found K-1s when someone um, pushed me to invest passively in restaurants in D.C. So, right. So, and that was not necessarily a financial investment as much as it was a social investment because I wanted to kind of be in the scene and all these things. But even though they make, they made money, but not like, we're not talking mind blowing money, but what they did, especially if you think about COVID, when a business has lost it, real losses or paper losses, okay? Your share of that business, you get your share of paper loss. And for people who don't understand paper loss, the government allows you to take a loss or take a negative on paper because they want to facilitate business development and even uh, affordable home creation. So they're incentivizing business owners to, or entrepreneurs to do things, right? That loss comes in the form of a K-1. It comes on that document. So what Dre and Kevin are talking about is I posted on LinkedIn, one of my K-1s, and it had negative $146,000 on it. That doesn't mean that I lost $146,000. What that means is my active, my income, the government sees that I made $146,000 less. I will be taxed $146,000 less. That really struck me the first K-1 I ever got. It was like maybe two grand. I was like, oh, so I didn't make 90, 100 grand this year. I made 98 grand in the eyes of the federal government. What if I can get this further down? 
So mm-hmm. you buy things that not only make money. I'm all for the stock market. Don't get me wrong. But the stock market doesn't have the tax incentive that real estate does. So you buy things that give you tax incentivization, and then you get to supercharge your goals because you're you're getting the asset, but then you're saving on the taxes. And by the way, when you get paper losses, when you sell that asset, you have to reclaim those losses later. But that 146 that I'm not paying on now, I'm using that money to invest. So that 146, by the time I got to pay on it, will probably be worth a million. People have to understand how these cycles of money work. All right. Thanks. The secret of money. It's not really a secret. Take time to learn about it. Um, yeah. As, as we go through the, this interview, it's going to be somewhat of a continuum because you have such a rich, fascinating, dynamic life story. So let's let's go to the other side in terms of. Okay. <clears throat> you had a job as a police officer while yeah. you were in the military, while pursuing, I'd say, a pretty tough career in Accenture. That's not just yeah. A, <clears throat> it's not, that's not one of those careers where you just show up, right? You got, you got to put in work. So how were you able to do each of those three well while still growing your real estate portfolio? What, what's the secret there in terms of dividing yourself so thin, seemingly? Yeah, there's zero secret except for hard work and good family. The, you can, every, look, we all have 24 hours in a day. And usually one third of those 24 hours were asleep. So, you know, we're, we're asleep half, uh, 30% of our lives, right? The rest of it, I think it's all, it, not I think, I know it's all about prioritization and focusing on the things, focusing on 20% that gives you the 80% of result. So I was always, at, to be clear, I was always at Accenture. Accenture, which was Anderson Consulting when I was hired back in 97, they hired me right out of college. I'm grateful. You, you, you've never heard me crap on corporate life or anything. The skills I learned from there were incredible. And I, I retired last year after on my 25th year. But while I was there, um, I got a, so I had a ROTC scholarship going into college. I needed the money for, you know, so military gave me money. The year that we, that I graduated from college, they said, look, you can go guard or reserve if you want, because there's too many officers coming out nationwide. So I went guard and reserve. I was a military police commander in the Air National Guard, but I got recruited. I sought out actually, and then got recruited to what's called OSI. So OSI is the Air Force's version of the FBI, mm-hmm. kind of like the TV show NCIS, but that's Navy's version. So I was an OSI special agent, <clears throat> technically a reservist, but, but by the nature of what we do, I was a fully credentialed federal agent, could arrest people anytime for any reason whatsoever. Um, so that was a kind of a part-time, but not part-time career. It was always there. When I had to deploy or go run a field office or run a task force or something like that, and it was usually in Florida or Europe, excuse me, Africa or the Mideast or Europe, I would pause Accenture and go be military full-time. That's one thing. The police stuff came in, so that's both from 97. The police stuff came in in 2008 because after 9-11, after I deployed and got back two years later, I was running two field offices for the agency. I went back to corporate and I was like, I can't, I went from seeing things that people could never imagine happen in the world to helping people, to chasing down fugitives, to genuinely impacting people's lives. I went back to looking at bottom lines on how I could save organizations money. There was such a disconnect with what I was doing. I tried to quit. 
because I wanted to go be a street cop locally. I was like, mm, I just want to give back to the local community and go help people. Fortunately, I had a boss um, who didn't allow me to quit, and we found a pattern to do it. So here's the crux of it. I would do Accenture all day, come home, take care of the kids, sleep for maybe a half hour, hour, get up, put on my uniform, go start patrolling at 830 at night. And I would do that for four days a week. And I would just kind of sleep. And then, you know, get get back at 6 a.m., sleep for an hour, get up, go to work, leave Accenture, go out to my car at lunchtime, sleep, get up, go back to meetings, go back to my car at 3.30, sleep. 4 a.m., 8 a.m., no matter if I was in a patrol car or in my house, I was working on real estate. Weekends, I was working on real estate. I found these patterns in the cracks that I could make all this stuff happen. And I want to give you one more example. Let me just run you through one thing. I'm patrolling the night before. I'm finished at 6.30, come home, sleep one hour, put on my suit for Accenture or shirt and tie for Accenture, kiss the kids off to school, run to the courthouse because I got to be in court. So it's 8.30 for court, 8.30, 8.45 for court. I get into court. I check in with the state's attorney. They don't need me for court that day, but I had to check in. I walk out of court at 9.15. I get on the metro. I go down to D.C. for Accenture. I might make real estate phone calls on the way to Accenture. I merge all those things together. And that's what I mean. I didn't have time to focus on crap because I was just focusing on the things that genuinely made me happy and achieve goals. But you got to find a way to merge all these things in that you want to do. So... Who, if, if any, who was your mentor or mentors throughout that period in your life? See, that's where I, I call it a mistake in my life, but people that I love have corrected me and said, no, that was not a mistake because you wouldn't be who you are today. But the mistake that I have called out for myself was that I was entrepreneurially depressed for years Ooh. doing all that because I was doing it alone in a vacuum. Ooh. I didn't tell people from the police department, what I, they, they kind of knew I was doing some consulting stuff, but no one could really figure it out. No one knew about the other thing. I didn't share. I was so afraid. I wanted to keep those lives very separate so they would never impact each other. But I never really told anybody. I had people that I would associate with in real estate, but how are they going to understand me being a street cop? How are the street cop people going to understand me having a meeting with the director of the department of agriculture the next day? It just didn't work. So for a long time, there was no, there was no mentor. Not until 2016 when I hired one. So from 02 to 15, outside of uh, my girlfriend who I was dating at the time, uh, shit. My my parents didn't even. My parents, Haitian immigrant parents, were like, I, I don't know. I I don't know how you're doing that, but you know, okay. There was there was nothing. So uh, you you have got to find a gear within yourself if you want something. But I will tell you nowadays, no, I surround myself with very extraordinary people because we can do a lot more together. That mentor you hired, what was their, what was the goal there? Was it to yeah. streamline? Was it to? It was, it, he, he was real estate related. Okay. Because okay. I was making the shift from single family real estate to buying apartment complexes. And it was a year I had been in a program, like a seminar, but in a program, and I hadn't bought anything. Like, man, I'm it, because Andre, what was happening was every time I would run into a roadblock, a mental roadblock or an actual roadblock on the multifamily side, I would revert back to what I knew. Okay. Well, I was good in single family. I'll just go back to single family. It's no big deal. You know what I mean? I just kept reverting. And fortunately, 
this guy's name was Craig. He lived in Providence, Rhode Island. Incredibly successful people, when they see something in you, will do something. Will will if they like I I the amount of people who have poured into me because they saw that I was genuine and honestly trying to help people and wasn't really about a money chase. That's why you see me out there trying to help people so much because so many people did it for me. This guy gets on a plane from Providence, Rhode Island, says, clear your schedule for two days. So I cleared my schedule. I shut the police down. I shut Accenture down. I shut my family down. And I spent two days, eight hours with him a day. And pretty much what he told me was get your shit together. How come you young black man cannot do what I old white man have done? What are you, mm. what are you doing? And what is your mm. problem? He literally, mm. this, this man literally challenged me and wow. broke my mindset that it couldn't be me. Right. It took three weeks for me to get a mobile home park under contract after, after those two days. Check that out. Three weeks. And now it's, I don't know, 32 apartment complexes since at this point. Mentors are a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. How did you move from being a mentee to having a mentor to becoming a coach yourself? I was always a helper. And even though I was, you know, let's say a lieutenant colonel or a senior executive at the firm, I was always a good follower, too. I really enjoy helping people and also leading from behind. I had a conversation with a guy named Jerome Myers. He's he's quite active on LinkedIn as well. Um, he convinced me to go to this mastermind with him, and I went, and I started articulating my story. Again, you remember that entrepreneurial depression stuff I talked about? I never told anybody what I was doing, ever. It was Jerome who said, Maurice, why don't you come on a podcast interview and just talk? I'm like, man, I'm not going on a, I'm not. No, I was very, very close. And at the time, I was still at Accenture, still being a street cop, still a federal agent. I was just starting to retire from, from being a federal agent. So I was nervous. So I get on there and I start talking and I start real. And it was a 45 minute conversation. And he goes at the end of the podcast interview. It was the first podcast interview I ever did. He goes, if you don't tell people what you have done and how you did it, you are you have an integrity gap. You you pattern yourself on helping people, yet you could be helping thousands or even millions, but you're not putting the information out there. And that was the change. And that's when I started posting. And then the coaching stuff came in as a result of posting. Because the amount of people who came out of the woodwork, like, how did you do the real estate thing? How did you leave corporate? Um, how did you, you were a federal agent? How do How do I do that? How are you designing life? How did you get to 100 countries? How are you virtualizing your mail? How are you traveling around the world at a moment's notice? How are you at the airport with no ticket, but you're getting on plane? I'm like, well, I got to do something with, with all this knowledge. So I started coaching people. Did you not share your passions and your real estate endeavors with your friends and colleagues because you were protective of what you were doing? Which sometimes in our culture that we we don't like to share with others because we don't want them to know what we're going to do or what we're doing so we're very protective of that no i wasn't protective it's not that i well no i take that back i was protective of my of the world i had created and i felt like if accenture understood my dynamic in the background if i wasn't at the office their mind might go to ah he's tired from being a police officer so I was very careful to not share that way. 
that's that's different. That's not me being scared or whatever. I was being protective of what I had created, right? Now, to your point about black and brown folk or just folk in general about protectionism of what they're doing or their skill sets or whatever, it's not that. I think it's more judgment. It's judgment. I told my, I love my parents. No, so, but I told my parents what I'm doing. And of course, immigrant parents, especially as a general rule, education, work your nine to five. What you mean you doing real estate? What is, what does that mean? There ain't nobody in this family doing real estate. You're not going to do real estate. You're not going to waste that money and stuff. Mama, I have $5 million in real estate. Yeah, but go to work. I told my mom, I told my mom, mama, uh, I, I own $150 million of real estate now. She said, but are you still at Accenture? <laughs> She's like, that's not a job. That's not a job. $150 million in real estate is not a job. Go get a job. From your experience, do you think it's generational or cultural why we don't share what we're doing from a business perspective? It is, it is generational. It's certainly cultural. And the other thing, I mean, I'm called state of state. You know, the, the black community, at least the way that I grew up, there was a certain expectation, right? I was supposed to be the ball player or I wasn't supposed to be. You just felt that way. Like, you, it's more so back then, 80s, 90s. Like, you're supposed to be the ball player, the rapper, the hip-hop artist. Not a lot of people who look like me were getting on trips and going to Finland five times to go to the Arctic. Like, who do I, who do I really share? I went to, I've been to Turkey maybe 35 times. And many times it would be a Wednesday here in D.C. And I'd be like, you know what? And I'd get on a plane to go to Turkey on Thursday. And I'd go to just Monday just to read a book in my favorite place. Finally, one of my boys came with me, finally. You know what happened at the end of that two day, two day visit? He was crying. He was bawling because he, he experienced what I knew. And what I knew was the world is very powerful and has a lot to offer. When you expose yourself to different people, not in a tourist mindset, but in a, I am interested in learning about your culture and connecting with you mindset, and you build meaningful relationships with people and they meet you and connect, it changes everything. So me and his brother, I, I flew, he, he flew in on a Friday night, 8 p.m. I had him meet me at the top of this hotel. I introduced him to all the hotel staff because they knew me. Then we went out and hung out with my friend Sarah. We had Turkish Rocky, which is a, a drink, and then fish. And then we partied that night. And then we met for hamburgers with some other people the next day. Then we sat by the GNC and talked for hours, probably over like eight beers, right? But like that long stretch when you're talking, talking. Yeah. And just as he's leaving the, 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 after, the next afternoon, just I can't believe that life can feel like this. Right. It's amazing. So you, you know, you worry about judgment of other people. And the reason my life book is so thick now it's because I, I built a muscle. I don't care. I just go. I just do everything. But lastly, but then I find amazing people like you who actually are interested in that. We, we didn't have LinkedIn and Instagram and Facebook in 2002 when mm -hmm. I had started all this stuff. So I couldn't find people to easily share with. But now when right. I put my views out there, 
It attracts like-minded people or people who want something different in life or to try life on. And now I have a very, very tight circle of people that I talk to about this type of stuff all the time. I'm getting on a plane tomorrow to go to Cyprus. I just decided wow. uh, last night, I got to find a ticket, but I'll travel hack it. And, you know, you just go live. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Everything you're sharing from the story of, you know, your parents and how, you know, they impacted your life and going up to when you had the mentor. It's all about, in my mind, our horizon, right, is directly correlated to our exposure. Yes. Right? Yes. We had someone on a podcast recently who he shared the story of when he was in high school, he was like, oh, man, I can't wait to graduate so I can get a job in the factory because that's where his family were. That was, that was his horizon, get a job in the factory. Fortunately, he came across some mentors who said, well, wait a second, one option is to go to college, you know, get, you know, some, some opportunities for real money. Yeah. He did that. Later on, he met someone who was a PhD, he got his PhD and so on. So, you know, the, the story you're sharing, one of the reasons why I think our audience is really going to, uh, why, why it's really pal palatable to them because it shows real life examples of how all that you've been exposed to has allowed the evolution of your life to take place. Right. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure when you were in um, the early stage in your twenties, having three jobs, my guess is at that moment, you didn't realize you were going to be a global citizen. Right. And so you had, you had more exposure along the line. It was building. Um, it was building. It was building. Yeah. It was building. Yeah. So I'm curious now, how often do you have people going to come to you directly and say, Maurice, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, here's my challenge, you know, um, mentor me in this area. How often does that take place? And specifically from people that look like us. Every day. That's great. And I'm grateful. I'm so grateful. <clears throat> it's what forced me to start officially uh, coaching. I definitely get uh, white people, yellow people, purple people. I'm cool with that. But I really do want black and brown folk because it's where I came from. And I didn't have anyone by my side when, as I was doing the crazy stuff that I do. <clears throat> I think people, and you know, even when I got into larger scale real estate, I really didn't have confidence until I saw someone on stage at a conference who looked like me and was military and had done a couple complexes. Sometimes you just need to see someone who looks and feels like you to feel like it's possible. Grant, sure. Grant Cardone is not a model for me. I like what he does. He's not a model for me. He don't come from where I come from. But actually, he had a really challenging upbringing, so I respect him in a big way. Not sure. Maybe not all the brashness, but his business sense, I totally respect it. But the amount of people that do come is significant. I've done one-on-one -on -one coaching now for the last year, no less than 50 people. Um, I'd say out of those 50, maybe 35 or minority, which is really good. And then the demand is so much now that I've just started putting together group coaching stuff because I can't keep up. But it, I get to take 25 years of all these experiences, tactics, tips, virtualizing my mail, leveraging Slack, building a biz business on top of my personal blueprint, on top of my dream day, which we can talk about. I wrap all that up into a ball and I dive deep with people on how they can move their life to try life on. And I love it because my passion, honestly, outside of helping people in general with life, 
My passion is helping people break the system. I told my friends and family that we were going to have you on our podcast and we were really excited. And one of my friends asked this question specifically, after attaining, after obtaining 50 homes, what should I be preparing as a next move on my real estate, commercial or continue buying more single family homes? Right, 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 right. I would actually, I would actually caution him not to scale and move forward without understanding the purpose of it. This is what I mean. Anytime anyone asks me about real estate or, hey, Mo, constant, uh, I want to get real estate. I'm like, why? For, for what purpose? The reason I shifted and got into larger scale real estate was not because I wanted more. It's because I wanted a new challenge. I wasn't looking to scale. I'm still not necessarily looking to scale. I don't want 30 employees and brick and mortar building and all that. What I want is for real estate and my businesses to support my personal life and my goals as a human on the planet, right? Okay, so I have uh, very lofty philanthropy goals now. I want to be able to stroke a million-dollar check and change someone's century, right, or community century. I have to go do apartment complexes to get that kind of money. I have a, I have a motivation behind it. So when he says that, what, where do I go? I've done 50 homes, and I'm like, what's the goal? What, what, are, you, what are you trying to do? Because if you start chasing money, you'll make some, but you're going to make a mistake. I don't go after every single apartment complex I find. My, me and my team, we go after the ones that make sense for our investors and for our goals. I have goals, right? So that's what I would tell people is you, you get after business and get after whatever, you know, whatever that next step is to match what your life-related goal is. All this stuff is – real estate's great, but it is a tool. You, I, I've done a lot of real estate. I'm very happy about it, but it's such a minute part of who I am as a person and, and my life. Because at the end of the day, it's really what's in your life book and all the experiences and friends. And I'm, I'm grateful for real estate, but I just want to harp on the fact that real estate is not my life at all. And whatever he's doing, make sure that it matches the goals that he wants. And then you can figure out what asset class to go after. One, yeah, 100%. Yes, that's a great takeaway, Maurice, in terms of, again, this is common thread throughout the entire interview I see in you in terms of having goals that are beyond making money, right? Because yeah. that's, that's, that, that's a small portion of it. What are you going to do with that money? There's a greater purpose there. How do you find it and then make a goal around it? So with Quattro Investments, right? So we talked about your what you did as a police officer, mm -hmm. your role in the military, Accenture, I'm sure everyone's pretty familiar with uh, Accenture and, and as it relates to being a consulting firm. Quantro Investments. Talk a little bit about that, about that that company, how it was founded, what you guys yeah. do. So it's Quattro Capital. Um, I'm sorry, Quattro Capital. Okay, don't, don't, don't worry. Quattro Capital was started organically, related to people's goals. I never wanted, I wasn't interested. I, I, let me tell you the story. So um, I was at a real estate conference. The, the thing that I care about very much so is connecting with extraordinary people. Okay. If, if my life was in a sentence outside of my family, that's it. I like to connect with extraordinary people. That's why I travel so much and go to different places. I was at a real estate conference in 2018. My now partner, Erin, gets on stage and, and is talking about her charity, her philanthropic cause down in Nicaragua. She was building homes for $5,000 a clip for families. 
She was so nervous to be on that stage, but she took a shot and she got up and she asked the audience, is anyone willing to donate so I can go build these homes? And nobody did anything. I was like, I see what's in that woman's heart. And I just stood up. I'll give you five grand. It started a flood. And in 20 minutes, she raised $55,000. The funny thing in the audience that day, one, two other people who donated, I didn't know them at the time. They are my business partners today with Quattro. So here's what happened. That's how I met Aaron. That's how we became friends. We, we stayed in touch. Um, she called me about a year later to sponsor a multifamily deal. So in multifamily, you have to have net worth equal to or more than the property. You have to have liquidity, let's say nine to 12 months worth of mortgage payments in the bank. And then you have to have experience. I had just enough experience on my own to sponsor this $3 million deal Aaron was trying to do with a partner in Tennessee. I said, I'll sponsor it. We did that deal. So was, Aaron was connected to Chad and Kim, who happened to be in the audience that day. We all did that deal together and it closed in January of 2020. And then we, Aaron calls me and goes, Mo, don't you think that went smoothly? I'm like, yeah, I really love those people. Let's all stay together and form a company. What do you think my first instinct was based on this? I was like, <laughs> hell no. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm a one man show. <laughs> I'm being facetious, Dre, but I'm glad you just said that. I'm a one-man yeah. show. I got this. Yeah, I got this. Right. No, you right. don't. You, you have right. what you have the ability to do as a one-man show. But one plus one is not three when you are with the right people. So because we connected, and it was very uncomfortable for me to do it, because I had success on my own. I'm like, why well, do I don't need these people? Oh, shit. Did I need those people? And what we have created since is um, Quattro Capital. We've syndicated 23, 24 deals together, have about $180, $170 million worth of real estate together, um, invested $70 million of investor money. I'm very proud of the fact that um, when an apartment complex goes full cycle, that means we bought it, renovated it, improved the quality of life for residents, then we sell it and we get the investors back their return. The, the complexes that we've gone full cycle like that, they've all returned 30, 35% or more. Wow. So that means someone who put in 300, I'm thinking of a particular investor because I love his story, but he, he invested 300 grand with us. And in 24 months, he had eight, a check for 830. Maurice, I hope you don't take this the wrong way, but Andre and I, we've been stalking your LinkedIn and stalking your page for a very long time. No, but, he, but he is, and so am I. <laughs> That's why you're here, because we're stalkers. <laughs> Maurice, what is your perspective on risk? Because yeah. on one of your posts, your LinkedIn posts, you talked about is being risky, just being born is being risky, and everything is a risk. So how do you really explain or how do you look at risks when you assess a situation? Now, I wasn't thinking that way, to be honest, Kevin. I, no, nah, I know the post you're talking about. I'm, I can easily write that post now in reflection. But when you're doing it, 
the, the thing that I have gotten good at over the years is, is not necessarily the risky stuff, understanding risk, mitigating every decision. I'm going to mitigate this risk. Hell no. The thing that I've gotten very good at over the years is just doing shit and course correcting along the way. What do I have to lose? I'm already okay. I worked my butt off for, for almost 20 years to at this consulting firm, being a street cop, and I invested it in real estate, and I have about 160 grand coming in. I'm okay. What do I have to lose? Let me try. Let me try life on, as I say. People have got to give stuff a shot. I tried to open two coffee shops in D.C., and I lost 30, 40 grand doing it. I'm not mm. mad at myself. Mm. I have thick skin. I know how to just give it a shot. The the stuff that I'm doing in the Mediterranean, when I, so that's why I'm flying to Cyprus. I, I am taking control of a foreign company. I am signing corporate papers on Thursday. Wow. I barely know what I'm doing. You know why? Because everything is in different language and different culture. But I hired an attorney and I have a business partner there and I'm just figuring it out. If we don't take some level of risk, Kevin, what are we doing? That's why I say in that post, life is risky. The whole thing is a risk. But I'm going to tell you, not taking a risk is the worst risk you could take. Because what's going to happen is you're going to be sitting in that retirement home that I went to two years ago as a challenge. And I talked to all those people there and they never talked about their jobs. They never talked about their money. What they talked about was the shit that they never did. The girl and guy they never asked out, the business they never started, the place they never went to because they were afraid of getting on planes, or that thing or hobby they never leaned into because they were worried what people would think about them. Yet, they're 85 and no longer have the physical ability to go do that shit. That, that's real. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. I was in my mom's um, just yesterday. Yeah. And one of the things, you know, she she's from you know, a uh, generation where it's all about work, like you yeah. talked about earlier with your, with your parents, right? Just get a job, work, work, work. And I keep trying to impress upon her. Now is the time for her to start creating more experiences. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, mm-hmm. I was there. She was like, I have, I have to replace the carpeting. I got to I gotta get the, the patio pressure washed. I'm thinking, you know, why not take that money and create these experiences? And, and she has a really hard time with, not working and doing that type of thing. So that resonates with me. A question I have about uh, mm-hmm. Capital, you just touched on, you know, the returns you have from these short-term holds. Do you guys do any long-term invest- mm-hmm. investment in these uh, rental properties? As, a, as an individual investor, just me, I'm a long-term hold guy. I, okay. I'm a legacy guy. I want to put as okay. many assets on the chessboard as possible. Okay. I want to leave my kids with so many options, they don't even know what to do. Whether it's my kids or society, somebody's going to get all that. Like I live off seven grand a month. I, I just don't need a lot of it. Mm-hmm. When we are buying apartment complexes for the sake of getting investors back returns, my responsibility is to investors, not to me. So when I do uh, sell the 240 unit complex after three and a half years of ownership and I make you know, high six figures or a seven figure profit from it personally, I will take that money and I will go buy something long-term hold for myself. So I'm always doing, and Quattro does quietly, we do a buy one, get one. We help the heck out of our investors. And then this is the key about linking arms with like-minded people. 
we are all very life related, life related, not business related. We do business as a consequence of life. So mm-hmm. when we do go make a profit as a company, we might go out and buy a 20 unit, a 30 unit and keep it for ourselves. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm going to want to do this stuff in 15 years because life is not about quattro capital or real estate. I might want to go live in the south of France by then with my dad, right? So I need things to take care of me. But um, I am generally a buy and hold long-term cash flow person. Oh, I want to make this point. You do not need $20 million to be free. Don't take anything I say on this interview. And he talked about $150 million in real estate. That's what I got to get. No, the hell you don't. You, you There's two ways to be financially free. One, having more passive income than expenses. You got two grand of expenses and you got four grand of passive income. Please go live in Bali by all means, because it costs a thousand bucks a month to exist there. If you're choosing to live in DC at 30 grand a month, that's your choice. You're, you're making that option. Okay. But two ways to get financial freedom. One, more passive income than expenses. You can get that through real estate, real estate, dividend stocks, whatever. Two, if you have a job, typically virtual, that supports a freedom-based lifestyle, you're financially free. COVID changed the game. Why are you in the office on K Street in DC? Why not switch it to something that you can be totally mobile around the world and go to Vail when you want to, or go up the street when you want to, or be available for your kids when you want to, or live in France all the time. I have two people recently, uh, one moved to Portugal, one moved to France based on virtual jobs. They're so happy. Yeah, it is not millions of dollars, man. It's designing your life. And if you don't want to make income from something virtual or something that makes you happy, then make income, then buy assets systematically with the paycheck that you have now and create a stream of income and then go live. People are and just like your mom's example. My parents example is the same. They're still doing that. Mama, uh, they have a house that they can sell. It's they bought it years in, in two thousand. It's probably worth like one point five now, and it's paid off. It's like no, we're gonna sell it. We're gonna give it to the grandkids. The grandkids don't need anything. Go use it to create additional experiences for the last six chapters of your life. Go. So I forbade them to to, to sell the. I forbade them to give sure. any money. But and yeah. there's ways for people to live way more than they're doing now. Yeah. When you mentioned doing business as a consequence of life, that is so profound and impactful. It's just amazing how you uh, look yeah. at life such in this particular manner. And um, can you elaborate some more? Work is supposed to support life, but you you know when you know you ever talk you, you know when Michael Jordan used to get in the zone when he was balling. Yeah. You now understand something. You know all that hoorah, ha ha shit that we would hear about peak performance. Tony Robbins, all that. Yeah. It is very real. The reason I say that is because in in business and in lifestyle design, there is is a flow state that you can get into. You remember that day that I expressed to you that I was patrolling all night, locking people up, helping families, got home, kids, court, mesh, get on the train, make a real estate call. Go do consulting work, make a real estate call, get back, sleep, right. mesh, go. It's a flow state. I just didn't realize it at the time. People mm. can't understand it because they've never experienced it. Mm. You know why? You know how you get in a flow state? 
when you're mm-hmm. executing your God-given talent and purpose on this planet. Mm-hmm. So when you ask me, like, what do you mean you're going to get on a plane tomorrow to go to Cyprus? You don't even have a ticket. It's just what I do. What do you mean you did all this real estate and stuff? No, it feels fantastic. It's not work mm-hmm. to me. In fact, if I'm not up at 4 a.m., the way you and I were talking about Dre, I feel like I'm missing out. I love my yeah. life so much. I'm so grateful that I'm able to execute on what I was here, put on this earth to do. It puts you in a state where it's not even work anymore. It's just you living, and as a consequence of it, money shows up. So those freedom principles I talk about on LinkedIn all the time, Kevin, time freedom, financial freedom, geographic freedom, those are kind of easier to figure out. That fourth one, freedom to execute on your purpose. The people who are miserable working day to day, don't get me wrong, we got to work. We got to make money. We got to suffer. We got to sacrifice. I get that. But if you can do that work in a space you are meant to be, it changes everything everything um so i don't know how i got there that there was something that you said that jogged me about michael jordan and uh the zone what'd you say i said uh doing business as a consequence of life oh yes doing business as a consequence of life because everything should be about life and when you are working on stuff that that is your life and feels good it's not work anymore Dude, if you have money, why are you working so hard? I'm not working. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm existing. I'm, I'm, I'm thriving in, in, on the planet. I wanna, I wanna live. I wanna connect. I wanna have experiences. I wanna talk to amazing people. I wanna build stuff. I wanna create. The one thing I don't wanna do is consume. <laughs> I don't like what we do. We go out. We're spending millions of dollars on junk all the time. I invest. I wanna build. I wanna create with people. That's awesome. So before we get to our final four, I have a quick touch point, and I want you to tell me about Dream Day. You mentioned that earlier. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, In terms of being in the zone, it's it's interesting that you were talking about that. I was thinking about my 12-year-old daughter who was pursuing a sport at one point, and I was, you know, I was encouraging her, got a coach and all that, and and she's like, "Ah, I don't want to do this. And at first, I'm like, what do you mean? We talked about this. You said you wanted to do this. And, I, and I, I took a moment and reflected a bit. And I realized that if she doesn't enjoy it, it's going to be tough. Every, every little small obstacle is going to be hard. Yeah. So I had a conversation with her. I said, listen, you decide what you want to pursue, what, which sport you want to do, and I'll be behind you 110%. And just, just make sure it's something you enjoy. And the reason being was what you just talked about, Maurice, is that if it's your passion, if you enjoy it, no matter how hard it gets, you'll persevere through it. You'll persevere. Not even re- yeah, you won't even recognize those obstacles because your your goal is 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 subconscious. You know, it's something you're pursuing that you're enjoying. And so that resonates with me on a much smaller scale as it relates yeah, to the daughter. I will say just on that note, just real quick, you and I are parents. Um, I I do think the job of parents is to encourage our kids and even when you're younger into your 20s try many things yeah try do them all this thing that we've done in society where we get people to specialize on day one specialize in one thing constantly in lifestyle design there's a concept that i've kind of penned uh and not uh and not or Mm. yo you're a successful executive why are you gonna go do da 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 
No, I don't want just to be a successful executive. I want to be a successful executive. I want to help mentally ill people as a police officer. I want to be a diplomat for the U.S. military to represent my country. I want to coach people on things that I've learned. I want to learn from people in industries I know absolutely nothing about. <clears throat> That's the spice of life to me. Not just look, you can specialize in something, be a doctor. I, I totally get that. But what I'm suggesting is for people to get into the flow state or to find their passion, Dre, we have to encourage them that it's okay to sample things all the time. You do not have to have your life figured out at 38. I think my life, I figured it out two years ago at 45. Mm. Mm. Just throwing that out there for people who are like, I got to be the best. At the no, you don't. I'm a solid number yeah. 17 in a lot of things. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. So the dream day. Talk about dream day. Yeah. Earlier, Thank you. Because I think this is worth mentioning. Yeah. I'm sorry, adults. I think you are very responsible, but you have forgotten how to dream. All of, all of us. That whole notion of living in the Mediterranean, when it popped into my head in 2015, I knew it was going to happen in some capacity. I was running a field office for my federal law enforcement agency in Turkey, and I just loved it. And I'm like, man, I'm going to live here, work here. I'm going to do something in this region for the rest of my life. A dream popped in my head. And because of it, in 2020, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine. She reminded me that someone we graduated with in college, her husband is Cypriot and is a real estate developer on the island of Cyprus. It took me three months to get into his living room. Four months later, we were on our first project together. Now we're wow. on our fourth project and he and I are the best of friends. Wow. You have to have a dream day to push towards. Otherwise, we're just existing. So what I tell people is write down what your perfect day is in vivid detail. Every sense, every human sense, put it in there. What does it smell like? What are you doing? Where are you? How cold is it? The wind is blowing off the Mediterranean Sea through the sheer curtains at 7 a.m. And I have the smell of coffee and it's Dre. So your daughter is reading her book from school. You decide to go to a coffee shop at one o'clock to sit, do work. You make three investor phone calls. Those three phone calls yield $300,000 worth of investment. You're done for the day. You're going to go hook up with your boy, Kevin, so you guys can have meaningful connection as friends, shoot the shit, party go home and have life. So if that's the case, if that's Dre's perfect day, then what is your personal blueprint that matches that? My personal blueprint, I don't want employees. I don't want brick and mortar. You ain't gonna catch me on K Street during the day. I'm not eating Subway sandwich for lunch. It's not, it's not gonna happen. I want to be mobile in this life so I can have experiences. If that's the case, then what is the business or employment blueprint you need? So when I built Quattro Capital, I was not about to build something that was gonna have my ass in an office in New York City. I have one laptop, one cell phone, and a microphone, and I'm out on flights all the time. All the time, experiencing life my way. But I am building business along the way. So what, okay, hey Mo, but you're building millions of dollars of real estate. But it, okay, so get a virtual job. You're, you're mixing it up. Your work is supposed to support your lifestyle. But what people are doing is they're going to work and they're competing with people for titles and stuff and arbitrarily taking promotions that cause them more grief and more time when they should be focused on lifestyle. So when I, when I, when I coach people, what I do is I take them through a process 
get vicious about your personal your your personal dream day. Vicious, vivid detail. Go back to being the kindergartner you actually are. Write it out, and you 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 would be surprised how many adults who I've had read it back to me cry because they forgot that that's what life is. So then I help them build the personal and business blueprint to go after it. But that's why I wanted to stress that to you. There are people who are in quiet desperation working constantly for shit that they don't even know that they're working for. Sure. It's got to support your per your perfect day and your personal blueprint. And lastly, I am not going to live my perfect day every day. That's not the point. But the point is I have the framework to live my perfect day anytime I want. So I'm going to go live my perfect day tomorrow. I'm going to take my butt to Dulles Airport. I'm going to find me a flight, probably through Istanbul, Turkey. I'm going to fly down to Beirut, stay in Beirut for two days because I have philanthropy things to get done there. And I have incredibly important friends and loved ones for me. Then I'm going to fly over and do my business stuff. Nothing about all that is work. It's all living my perfect day. But I had the framework by which to do it because I didn't build something that I'm stuck in one place. Dope. What you're saying about this dream day and perfect day is so amazing. I, you know what? I think I'm going to do it. You know what? I'm going to just uh, write down my perfect day, my dream day, and, and just uh, see what I yield from that particular writing process. That's clever. I love it. Thank you. Kevin, if you do it, call me. Like I'll, I'll work with you on a little bit. You remember when I told told you guys I love to help people break the system? That's what I mean. And you know why I love it so much? Because I broke the system all by myself for 17 years and it was miserable. I made them, that's what I mean. It, I you you have the same experience? Yeah, man. See, the thing is, Dre, we, you and I were here, but we didn't know that we were here. Could have shared. We could have supported each other. That's another thing about our community. Sometimes we tear each other down for doing something different. I'm more attracted to quote unquote different people now than I am to people who are doing status quo. Status quo don't work for me. So don't label me, oh, that's the cop. His name is Maurice. No, no, I'm not. That's the real estate, real estate investor. His name is Maurice. No, that's the Q. That's the Omega Sci-Fi brother. His name is Maurice. No, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't label me. Don't tell me who I am. Don't No. What I want to do is be around extraordinary people like yourself who understand that we can go try life on. You can go live the way you want. You can try business. You can connect with amazing people, collapse the time frame down to a goal just like this, just by being with the right person. I built a business in the Mediterranean in 18 months. That's crazy. Well, I had the right person. Anyways, I can go like I, this stuff takes me on a tangent because yeah, yeah. I'm passionate about it. Like, I'm, wh why are we wasting our time? <laughs> yeah, we love it, man. We love it. We love it. Yeah. So, so, Cam, you, you want to kick off the uh, first final four? So, this, these are our final four questions we ask every every guest. Okay, so go ahead, kick off the first one. Yeah. The first final four question is: If you had the ability to have dinner with anyone, alive or dead, Jesus, Muhammad Ali, anyone who's alive or dead, <laughs> who would you want to have dinner with, and why? Who would be the three other representatives at your table? Kevin Dre, you know, anybody. <laughs> I'm Kevin Dre. 
one. Oh, it almost, I can, I can feel, I can feel emotion and tears welling up in my eyes a little bit. Um, believe it or not, the first person would be Anthony Bourdain. Mm. Man, I'm surprised how much it affects me because all those years I was traveling and I, I wasn't getting ridiculed. It wasn't that. It's just that my boys and my family were like, why are you in Turkey? Why are you in Africa? Why are you in Brazil? Why are you this? Why are you that? And they couldn't see or experience what I was feeling in exploring the world. It was really difficult. And then you got this this dude on TV who's doing it, but he's not he's doing it in a way that I was already doing it, right? With parts unknown. And I felt like I had a brother. Ooh. Just watching his shows. And you know what funny has happened? I have met the people who were his executive producer, his director of photography. I know them all. And I feel so blessed to have met them. Bourdain is the reason that I went to Lebanon. Which means Bourdain is the reason why my life has changed dramatically. And man, if not for my travels in the way that I do it, I just wouldn't be the human that I am today. That's the first person. The second person is Tim Ferriss. And the reason why Tim Ferriss, because I found the four hour work week book and people misunderstand that book. That book is not talking about you working four hours a week. It's talking about you creating a designed lifestyle uh, and business. He calls it a muse, a muse business, right? A muse business is a business that supports life. So you create certain streams of income so you can go live life a certain way. But what he does in that book is he gives you all these tactics, tools, tips to do it. So from him, I got uh, working, um, working smarter, virtualizing all my mail. I don't get mail anywhere. Tips about travel hacking. I cannot remember the last time I got on a plane and actually checked luggage because of him. I, I don't know. No. And I will travel places for never. months at a time and I, I will never check luggage. I just know how to do it all, right? Building an online business such that I am not stuck in one place. I got it all from him and I have built on his concepts and shared it with a lot of different people. Um, and then the third person I would want to talk to again is my, my grandfather because, uh, mm. so I'm an immigrant kid. We come from Haiti. It, my, my family, <laughs> I didn't realize this. I didn't realize how diverse, I don't think anyone realizes how diverse our own families are. My grandfather was French. Mm. Um, he grew up in Haiti, but his dad was 100% French and his mother was Chinese. I didn't know this until six months ago that my, my, gr my great, great grandmother was full on Chinese. What? Wow, check that out. Yeah. He grew up in Haiti and was pushed out of Haiti by the dictator Jean, Jean Paul Duvalier back in the seventies. And he was pretty much a refugee and he ran to, cause he was going to get killed if he stayed there. He just stepped on the wrong people. Um, he, he ran to Belgium and then made it into the United States illegally, but back then you could do it. And he naturalized and became a viable part of society and community. I would just want to talk with him. Like, 
I want people to have that kind of spirit. I know that that political situation and, you know, you don't want to die. So he left. But he wasn't a, he wasn't scared. And he just like grabbed his wife. He's like, we're out. And he went to Belgium and he moved around. Then he ended up in New York and him and his wife, my grandmother, who lives with my parents right now, they had eight kids, seven kids. All of them are successful. All of them. Mm-hmm. He's a generation breaker. I want to be a generation breaker for my family. So mm-hmm. lastly, please spend more time with your grandparents. I, the, 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 the notion of who he was and the fact that he was friends, I didn't even know that. It's mind boggling to me that I never had deeper conversations with him. And he's mm-hmm. not an English speaker. He's just French and Haitian Creole, you know. Those are my three people, man, for many emotional and like, see, none of them are money. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I've, I've, read, I've read certain books and realized or thought, wow, this would be a great movie. Mm. Hearing your story, this conversation, I think about, wow, this would be a great book. So if you think about, if you think about your biography, right, what would you, how, what, what would the title of your biography be? Try Life On. Try Life On. It's funny you mentioned that because I actually have that written down, Try Life On. It, it's, it's a phrase that I came up with with the help of certain people like six, seven months ago. It beautifully articulates what I've been trying to get across to people. Okay. Uh, we have to work. I got you. We do. Mo, you have money, so of course you're traveling. Yeah, no. I've been doing this since I was 15 years old. I became a federal agent when I was 21 years old. I became a street cop when I was 33 years old. I acted on my first TV show when I was 24 years old. I acted on my last miniseries when I was 46 years old. I just keep trying different. I went to the Arctic when I was 42 years old. I tried out for the NFL when I was 21 years old and I tried out again when I was 26 years old. Way too old, but I still tried. We can try life on. We, we have to, there, there are, the, the blueprint exercise that I talked to you guys about is a very powerful way to realize, holy shit, things are within my grasp if I want mm-hmm. it. The problem is people forget that they can actually live. That's the nature of what a book would be, to try life on. And I'll get a book. Like, I'm, I'm, I will have the same integrity gap, Dre, if I don't write a book. Mm-hmm. Not a money would it be a biography or would it be life lessons? I mean, I think it would be a biography that has lessons in it that works for more so failures. Like I failed the amount of businesses I failed is crazy, but mm. or the flights that I've missed or the travel hacks that didn't work or me being caught in an airport in Jordan. Like, but they're all stories that the day I am in that retirement home, when someone asks me, what did you do? Like, sit down, grab a drink, let's have a chat. I want that. I, I want that. I want my life book to be so goddamn thick that it takes people seven days to even hear the whole thing. All right. The third question is, what is your superpower? What is it that, that you do that is your superhero power? See through lead or anything. I have two. One I always had and one has kind of developed. The first superpower is I don't care what Mm. you think. 
I don't care what the, the fellas think. I don't, I'm being very loving when I say the following statement, mama and daddy, I love you, but I don't care what you think when it comes to how I'm going to live. Generations are very different. You, you, you have to ec exercise your God-given right as a biological individual to do life your way. <clears throat> I love my frat brothers. I, I love my police shift. I love my military family, but that doesn't define me whatsoever. And I've just never been nervous about if I do this, what are people going to think about? And maybe to detriment because you do, I don't want to run around this planet and business community and be the maverick. That's not what I want. What I want is to find people who think the way that I do mm. or think similar or can upgrade me or I can upgrade them. But the superpower is I just did all that shit because I just didn't, I didn't care what people thought. And you know, the funny thing is now the people who thought it was weird back in the day because they had some idea. Of course, they're the people who are like, how did you do that? And right. you get out of corporate. And why did you turn yeah. down being a partner at the firm four times? Right. Well, you, I'm still here and you're out because right. Right. I wasn't going to give up that time. So that's the first superpower. The second superpower has come from coaching, of all things. I have started to realize that with coaching, I give people an excuse to go do shit their way. Mm. People were waiting for or needed, maybe not waiting, but didn't realize that they needed an excuse to leave their marketing job in New York City and go live in Portugal in a co-working, co-living location, being a developer for for 75 grand a week so you can open your door and explore Europe for the rest of your life. Mm. They needed that. The only excuse that we have in our collective systems is our parents and our schooling. And what is that telling us? to be an employee, to not be spirited or entrepreneurial or whatever. So because I am unapologetically vicious about life, I'll tell my coaching students or people I talk to, if you don't want to do that, that's your business. But I'm telling you, this is what you can possibly do. I will support you with it. If you don't want to do it, great. I got other people to talk to. I have gotten people to go live very dramatically different lives, whether building an online business or starting in real estate or staying at corporate. I, there's nothing wrong with corporate, but you have to know how to leverage it. Stay at corporate, leverage those paychecks, leverage that skill set to build something that you want. Travel, travel hack. Get three tickets to Athens, Greece for $288. Here's a skill. Practice. People don't understand that trying life on, you have to practice it. I don't need practice in this anymore, but the thing that I was telling you about Turkey, getting on a plane and going for the weekend and coming back, I started that thought process with Brazil back in my 20s. Mm. I, I think I can do shit like this. Like, let me go practice it. Two or three times I went to Brazil for a 24-hour period just to hang out with friends. But because I travel wow. hacked it, I only paid like $100 or $200. So like, I can stay in D.C. for the weekend, go hang out with the fellas, spend $300 at the bar, or I'm going to fly down to Brazil for a 36-hour period and go hang out with people and just try life. These Ooh. are things that you can actually practice. So my superpower is giving people an excuse to practice trying life on, to live life the, the way they want to live. I'm not the guy to even remotely talk to about, well, he has a good job. I'm not that dude. You don't, you, you no, 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 no. You, people should live a very specific way for them, their definition mm -hmm. of happiness, their definition of life. 
If you want to grow and be a CEO, do it. But if you are trying to be a CEO because that's what the guy in the next cube, next the, the guy or the woman in the next cubicle are doing, you are wasting your 28,000 days on this planet. Ooh. I got 11,000. No, I have 10,000 and change days left. I'll be damned Ooh. if I'm not going to do it my way. And I give that energy to the people that I coach as well. So that's the second superpower. Man. Yeah. This is great. I, 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 feel, I feel like I'm in church. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm waiting for somebody to pass the plate. <laughs> this is good. This is good, man. I love your passion, dog. I love your passion, man. Uh, last question. And I'm glad you, uh, thank you. You just made me feel better because sometimes I do feel like I'm getting on a soapbox and preaching about stuff. It's not that. It's that I have felt something and experienced something, and I still am. And I want it for everybody in their own way. For sure. So my boy who's a street cop, just one last example. One, please, for me. What my boy who's no, a street sure. cop with me. I'm so proud mm -hmm. of him because a couple of the guys on my shift, and we were the, in 2017 and eight, 17 and 18, we were the most proactive shift in Montgomery County, Maryland, doing the right things, okay? You, there was never a crew like us out there making stuff not happen the way that we did. Those guys started to see I was doing real estate and all this type of stuff, traveling the world. And one guy in particular, Tim was like, what are you, do what are you doing? You're like, you're like Will Smith in bad boys. You have a trust fund, but you're here being a street cop. He, <laughs> he, 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 he did the right thing. He, he pulled me aside. I was like, yo, I'm, I want to pay for your time just to talk to you. What he wanted out of life, I asked him what he what he really wanted. He's like, man, I just want to be a federal agent, like really, really bad. And I, I was a federal agent. And I coached him and I said, look, man, the way federal law enforcement works, you have to apply and you're going to get rejected so many times it's going to hurt. But once you get in, you're in and then you exist in that community. And whether you become a DEA agent or an FBI agent, you can float to being an OSI agent, an NCIS agent, a postal inspector. There are postal inspectors who are federal agents or diplomatic security if you want. He got rejected by like 12 over time. And he kept talking to me. I said, man, keep going. He's in academy now. He's 33. And he will graduate in eight weeks. And I, I want to cry for the brother. Because he didn't quit. He's This is what I mean about being unapologetic because everyone around him was telling him, Yo, you a detective right here. You're running task forces in our local county, which is beautiful, but that wasn't the goal for him. That wasn't his final destination. So now he's about to graduate being a federal agent and he's bought his second investment property. Nice. I love helping people break the system, man. I love it. It's not about money. It's about trying life on and living well. And thank you for, you know, I do feel like I preach sometime because I've, stumbled onto something and I try and give that energy to other people. It's not, it's not preaching. It is passion. And now you know why I never work because it's just, I enjoy it. Yeah. What I, what I completely 110% see is your passion. I just, it just bleeds through and it's genuine. So that, that's, 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 I receive it. Well, uh, last question here, Maurice and you know, me and Kev appreciate your time. So let me ask this last question. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I think I have a sense of what you might say. Mm. 
<laughs> but I have to ask, what would you say has been your greatest success to date? Well, I don't know how to answer that one. I mean, a success is relative to a, to a, to yourself. So, you know, nope, it's not real estate. Mm-mm. It's not two hundred million in real estate. It's not being a street cop. It's not making it to lieutenant colonel. It's just that I had the audacity to do it. Audacity. I had the audacity to try life on my way. I had the audacity to give myself a shot. I had the audacity to tell people, I don't want to be a partner at my firm. It makes zero sense for me. I had the audacity to understand what made sense for me as an individual and not follow the status quo. So maybe that's it right there. What's your greatest success? Not following status quo. Taking a left when a lot of people were taking a right. There was nothing wrong with taking a right, but my God-given spirit told me to take a left, and I followed it. With pain, being solo, which you know about, Dre, yeah. waking up on Saturday mornings. If, it, if this is uh, 2006, I'm already in the car for four hours going from property to property, solo, mm. eating mm. burgers and Subway. Wow. So it's, you know, it's the audacity to do shit your way and and not just accept status quo. And one more thing, I ain't done. I don't think, I I just, like I'm 40, I just turned 47. I think I can have a six pack again. I'm on my journey for it, right? Okay, okay. I want to put that out there. Like I'm not perfect. I'm, I'm down 10 pounds on this journey. I'm not okay. talking about it much because I just want to see if I can do it. So I'm just doing sure. it with a very right. particular person in a very particular way. But I turned 47. I started the Mediterranean stuff a year and a half ago. I want to do my philanthropy projects. I'm connected to a community in Lebanon where I go door to door and I change people's decade with a stroke of a pen. What am nice. I going to do next year? I don't know. Am I gonna do a docu series? I don't know. I, I don't have the I don't have any experience. It doesn't matter. I'll find the right person right. who does. You know, right. we're we're not done. No one is done, and that's why I don't like the. Lastly, I don't like the notion of this grade school, high school, college job, white picket fence, two mortgages, two car payments, and you're and you're drinking beers on Friday, going to Walmart on Saturday, recovering mm-hmm. on Sunday, going back to work on Monday. Yeah. That's not a way to hold on. There's nothing wrong in and of itself, but what I don't like is the default nature of that thought process. You know, right. if you want right. to be home, be home. Like this past three weeks, I haven't gone anywhere. I just wanted to be around my nine year old constantly because he's starting sports and school started and all that type of stuff. Sure. Man, you've got to go live life unapologetically. Don't do status quo. Do whatever your quo is and find the people who will right. support that. For sure. Sure. Maurice, man, we really want to thank you for being on our podcast and for stalking or forgive us for stalking you because we've been stalking Stop you away, since brother. we found you a couple <laughs> couple months ago. And uh, actually, I think I found you during the pandemic and you were talking on some Southern Dudes podcast. And I was like, Andre, you got to listen to this guy named Maurice. He's amazing. And and I've been stalking you on your on your LinkedIn. So thank you very much for, for joining our podcast. We appreciate you. Ha, 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 ha.
<laughs> I love this stuff, man. I'm I'm so grateful for y'all. You know, and you, you know, yeah. Thank you for having a for real, for real. I'm being dead honest. Thank you for having a platform yeah. to get good information out to people. This is what I needed in my 20s and 30s. This I so, needed to hear Kevin, yeah. Andre, and some other dude talk about stuff so I could get where I was going faster. It's really important. Right. But man, the, I, all I want to do is give. Like I'm, I have you guys on this podcast right now. I'm speaking on someone's Zoom at two o'clock because I just want to talk to their investor, their um, real estate thing because people are trying to start. And then I'm speaking at a mastermind thing tonight in DC, and I'm like, nice. dude, like you're doing all nice. this stuff. I'm like, it makes me happy. It, I'm so happy yeah. to share stuff with people who listen. Yeah. So I'm grateful that you guys even asked me to come on. Good.